your Bible with you tonight, I encourage you to open it with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 4. We are going to continue in our study of some passages dealing with Christmas, and so you may wonder, what does Galatians have to do with Christmas? We normally find the Christmas stories in Matthew and Luke, uh, but we're going to look at something tonight, not necessarily with the, uh, the, the history of Christmas so much as some of the theology of Christmas. And Paul speaks about that here in Galatians 4. And I thought Brother John did a great job this morning. It was, it was great to have him with us and to recognize him and the Lord's work he's done uh, through his ministry these last seven years. And he gave us a, a pretty good survey of the Christmas story. And he touched on something that uh, I thought would be good for us to kind of park at for a little bit and look at, and it's the idea of the timing of Christmas, of, of the, the when uh, that uh, that Christmas took place, and in our house we've got a, a chalkboard in, in the kitchen, and it says uh, blank days till Christmas, and you can take a piece of chalk and you write ever how many days it is, and then the next day you erase that and write write the next number down. Those days it was 14 days to Christmas, and tomorrow I'm sure Kylie will be climbing up on the counter uh, with chalk in hand, ready to fix that because. Uh, they're anxiously awaiting the arrival of Christmas. And I can't help but think about in the time of Christ how they too were anxiously awaiting the arrival of the birth of the Savior. They were looking for the Messiah. As the Old Testament came to a close, there was about a 400-year gap where there was no Scripture written. There was no new uh, inspiration no no word from God. And the people had received the promise that a Messiah was coming, but yet there was no word from God at that point. And so they were waiting and they were anxious. And in the right time, in the right moment, it happened. And that's what Paul speaks about here in Galatians 4. And as we read this tonight, I pray that we will praise God for the unfolding of his perfect plan at his perfect time. You know, God does move and God answers prayer. and God keeps his word and he always does it at his time. And it may not be in the way or in the time that we wish, but God is always perfect and God is always faithful. Galatians chapter 4 verses 4 and 5. Apostle Paul writes, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And as Paul writes this, we do see the when and the who and the why involving the birth of our Savior. First of all, the when. We see in verse 4, divine providence and where providence means God's right and his ability to govern all of creation all that he has made including the events of human history God is in control of all of that he always has been he always will be in his providence the son came and as we think about the timing of this first of all there was Jesus was born in the time where the Roman Empire was in control. Brother John had mentioned that this morning. And all of the known world, the Mediterranean world at that time, was under the authority of the Roman Empire. And one of the reasons why that was significant is because Rome had the power to keep all of the other nations in check. There was a, a season there, a, a few hundred years of peace, 
known as the Pax Romana in Latin, the, the Roman peace. Uh, in essence, Rome had the authority that if you got out of line, you know, they, they, they could crush you, put you back in line. And so that brought all of the world, it united all of the world underneath the umbrella of Roman authority. And so there was a season of peace there uh, that the known world enjoyed at the time. Also, Rome had improved the transportation. Roman roads uh, were, were instituted at that time, some of which still stand today. Amazingly so, 2,000 years later. So transportation of going back and forth from place to place was easier. So too with that communication. And so word was able to get from one place to another a lot faster, a lot easier than it used to be. And it was in that season that God sent forth his son. But also there was not only the, the Roman power, Roman authority, there was Greek culture. One reason why that was significant because everybody in the known world there spoke the same language. It doesn't matter where you were from, you, you knew Greek. The reason for that is because Alexander the Great had conquered that area and brought the Greek language and the Greek culture all over the known world until his death and eventually the fall of the Greek Empire to the Roman Empire. But everyone still spoke a common language. That's why the New Testament is written in Greek. It's because everybody spoke that. It's almost like English today. Uh, the common tongue, the common culture. Is, as the Greek culture went around the world, uh, it was uh, in vogue to study philosophy and, and the meaning of life and, and, and purpose in life and seeking to answer the big questions and wrestle with these things intellectually and, and religion. Uh, it was uh, through Greek culture that, that religion became a, a unifying thing that people would, would seek to know, as I said, um, higher powers and to know more about these things and, and whether or not there was a God. And if so, how did God interact uh, with mankind and how could we know God? And in the midst of, of that uh, season, God sent forth his Son in a way when people were thinking about these things and, and could communicate in the same way and as transportation and communication was easier in that time God sent forth his son there were also think about the, the roots of Jesus there was Jewish roots we talked about that a couple of weeks back in his ancestry um, why that was significant is because after the Babylonian captivity the Jews had been scattered literally all around the known world in almost every metropolitan city there was in the world, uh, there was a pocket of Jewish, uh, uh, Jewish believers. And they established synagogues where they would go and they would worship God and they would study the law and they would pray and sing uh, hymns. And it was in these synagogues as Paul and the missionaries and the apostles went out traveling these new Roman roads, speaking this common language wherever they went, answering questions about philosophy and the deep meaning of life and able to go into these Jewish synagogues and find a, a common bond, a, a common culture that they were able to go and try to share Christ with. And when sometimes that worked, sometimes it didn't, but they were able to go uh, around the world and take the gospel. And so you could see that the timing, as far as man's concern. From our perspective, it looked like the perfect timing, but at the end of the day, it's all about God's providence. It's all about God's prerogative. It was the right time to send forth His Son because God said it was the right time. 
God knew it was the right time. Not sooner, not later. But in the fullness of time, we read in the Scripture, God sent forth His Son. And, and you might think about, why not now, with all the technology we have, all the social media, and all the satellites, you know, if Jesus was born today, if He was able to as we read in scripture do all the miracles that he did then it would be an uh it'd be a global phenomenon but if you stop and think about it if jesus had been delayed in his coming for example if jesus didn't come until a hundred years from now how many of us would be saved how many of us would be going to heaven you know if if jesus had not come when he did how many souls will be lost and dying and in hell right now? But he came at just the right moment. He came and, and praise God, he came and was born and lived and died and rose again. And the gospel went forth. And here we are today worshiping him. You know, the son of, of Jewish peasants, born in a manger, uh, the son of a carpenter. And here we are celebrating his birth. The reason why? Because in the fullness of time, when God was ready, God sent forth his son. So we see divine providence. It's, uh, it's kind of akin to roasting a marshmallow. You know, if, if you take it out too soon, it's not done yet. It's not right. If you leave it in too long, you know, you just ruined it. It's just turned to ash. I know some people, you know, prefer different ways, but you leave it in it, it, and take it at just the right moment. Not too soon and not too late. In the fullness of time, in God's providence, he sent forth his son. And so that is when, um, when we celebrate Christmas. But also we see in this the, the who that is involved. And we see God's divine provision that God graciously provided mankind something we desperately lacked. And notice it was God who took the initiative to do this. As Brother John said this morning, he, God could have left us all condemned to hell. And he'd have been perfectly just in doing that because it's what we all deserve. But God chose to save us. God chose to redeem us. Notice in verse 4, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son. It was God who did it. God sent forth. He, he, he sent out his Son. And it was God within flesh power of the sovereign in the position of a substitute that Jesus came to to live in our place a life we could not live and to die on a cross a death that we deserved he came to be the perfect substitute and to do so he had to be God in the flesh and so we think about that very thing the scandal of the incarnation that there is God most high all-powerful, the maker of heaven, the maker of earth, who made all of the stars and the planets and, and, and makes it all rotate and, and, and revolve around in, in perfect harmony, the God who developed the, the, the lowest of, of molecules, and protons and electrons and neutrons, and makes all that stuff work, the God who designed the human body and all the different systems we've got, the digestive system and the pulmonary system and all these things that works the way it does but not only that but you've got the God who is pure and holy and righteous morally perfect and this God condescended himself and came to earth and was born 
as a human being, came as a baby, a baby born to a poor couple, a baby born in a stable because there was no room for him in an inn. And think about that. You know, God coming as one of us. God within flesh. And that is, that is Jesus. And the fact that God would condescend to take on humanity is something that is amazing. And so because of that, the incarnation, Jesus was 100% God and then became 100% man. And Jesus still is 100% God and 100% man. Because he, when he was resurrected, he, he arose, what, physically. When he ascended to heaven, he ascended in bodily form. When he returns, he is coming back in bodily form. And he is now and will always be 100% God and 100% man in one person simultaneously. And that's some pretty deep stuff to try to wrap our heads around. And, 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 and Christians in the early church were trying to develop doctrine and, and come to an understanding of that. And, and there were all kinds of ideas that were, that were floated out there to try to understand now, who is Jesus in relation to God the Father. Is Jesus fully God? partially God? Was there a time when Jesus was not and God made Jesus? And, and there was a great deal of controversy around that. And in the year 325, the, the uh, Emperor Constantine, who was known as the first Christian emperor, he called a council together and brought all of the, the, the bishops and all of the, the scholarly clergy together to try to come to some sort of consensus on the identity of Jesus as far as his humanity, his divinity. And legend has it that in 325, the Council of Nicaea, there was a bishop there from modern-day Turkey by the name of St. Nicholas. We know him as St. Nicholas today. And according to legend, there was a fellow there named Arius, and he was kind of the, the main leader of, of this doctrine of saying that well, Jesus was not 100% God that he was one of the first or, or the first thing that God the Father created, but there was a time when Jesus was not. And so Arius was a very popular teacher, a very charismatic teacher, and he was, he was promoting this doctrine. And legend has it that at that council of Nicaea in 325, as Arius was, was teaching his doctrine that Nicholas, this bishop, was so angered at what he heard that he stood up, went across the room, and he punched Arius in the face. And uh, because of that, he was, uh, he was arrested and put in prison, and there's all kinds of uh, legend that goes along with that. But this fellow named Nicholas, he had earned a reputation of being one who was a very generous man. Uh, he, would, uh, he would give gifts anonymously. And uh, the, the legend we know that now today of Santa Claus arose from this historical figure named Nicholas. And um, in, in Europe and Scandinavia, he was known as Saint Nicholas. You know, Nicholas and Nicholas. And you put that together, Saint Nicholas. You can see how Santa Claus comes from that. But yeah, that's the, that's the origin of, that, of, of he and that story that in 325 in Nicaea, went across the room and punched Arius in the face. And I seen a picture of this on, on Facebook one day. It had this, this drawing, uh, this medieval drawing depicting uh, what St. Nicholas would look like. And it said, I came to give gifts and punch heretics. 
and I'm all out of gifts. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. But uh, God within flesh, and in the days of the early church, as they looked at Scripture and came to this understanding, and according to, to God's Word, this doctrine of the incarnation that God became flesh, 100% God, 100% man, simultaneously in this one person of Christ. God within flesh, because God provision. God sent forth His Son. Who is He? He is God's Son. He is God within flesh, but also in that He is man without faults. Because we go on to read this, that God sent forth, he, he apostled his son, born of a woman, born under the law. That he became one of us, born under the law, meaning he was born under Jewish law, but also born under God's law in general. That he came to fulfill God's righteous demands, God's holy demands. He came to perfectly obey God in a way that no one else ever could he was born under the law he took on Adam's nature as a human being without Adam's sin nature and most likely that is because of the virgin birth that he came he was fully man yet without Adam's sin nature able to perfectly fulfill the demands of the law and he is the only one that was able to do that we read in Scripture in, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. That Jesus was without sin, never sinned, never disobeyed God, never broke any of the commands of God. That he came born under the law and he fulfilled the law. God made him who knew no sin be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He was perfectly righteous because he was God in the flesh. And he came in order to accomplish our salvation. And to do that, he had to be a sinless substitute. If Jesus had sinned, and when Jesus died on the cross and bore God's judgment for sin, he would have bore his own sin debt and not ours. But because he was without sin, when he bore the wrath of God, he was able to bear all sin, the sins of humanity, because he was fully God, he was able to fully absorb the wrath of God against sin. And had Jesus not been man, he could not have stood in our place as a representative. Had he not been sinless, he would have not been an adequate sacrifice. But he was both, God within flesh and man without fault. And when sharing the gospel, one thing that uh, people have gone to uh, that has been very effective is the bridge illustration. I don't know if you all are familiar with that, but you, you draw, in essence, two, two cliffs that are divided by a, a big gap, a big canyon. And you draw a man, or you write man on one side and God on the other side. And you say religion is man's attempts to try to get to God, but, but there will be no attempts that are going to be good enough. We inevitably will fail. But God sent forth his Son to us and bridged the gap and in that gap in the middle between man and God, you draw a cross as a bridge connecting both sides. And the only reason that's able to work is because God became flesh. God became one of us. And the only reason we're able to get to God is because Jesus was perfect and righteous, born under the law as we are, yet without sin. And we see God's divine provision. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son 
born under the law. And in verse 5, we see God's divine propitiation. We say, we've looked at that in the, God, in, the, in the letters of John. Propitiation is one who bears the wrath, one who takes the punishment for someone else. And that's what Jesus has done for us. Verse 5, the reason why in the fullness of time, it's the when, God sent forth who? His Son, born of a woman, born of the law. Why did He do that? Verse 5, why? So that. Why Christmas? Why the incarnation of God? Why? So that the purpose, he might redeem those who were under the law. He became one of us, born under the law, so that he might redeem us. So in other words, without God sending forth his son, he would not be able to redeem us. The only way he would be able to redeem us is sending forth his son, so that we might be redeemed. The word redeem means to, to purchase to, to buy back. You know, we were in slavery to sin because we had inherited Adam's sin nature. And God sent forth His Son to purchase us back from sin, to pay the full price. The full price was the cross. We had been enslaved, but yet God sent forth His Son to redeem us. Mankind is created in the image of God. We read that in Scripture. And the fall of mankind into sin did not remove the fact that we were created in God's image. So that means everybody has the, the ability and the capability to do good to some degree because we are made in God's image. But also we have inherited Adam's image because we read in the book of Genesis that when Adam had a son, he had that son who bore his image. Adam was in the image of God, so his son had the image of God. Yet Adam had rebelled, and therefore his son took on his image, the image of God and the image of fallen Adam, the sinner. So that means everybody has capability to do good, yet everybody is tainted with this curse, this disease called sin. It has infected every aspect of our being. We call that total depravity. That means physically we are affected by sin. Mentally, emotionally we are affected by sin. And of course spiritually we are. Everything that makes you you has been touched by this disease called sin. And God sent forth his son to redeem you from that. He sent forth his son to be born under the law so that you might be purchased back from that. Adam messed us up. And Eve messed us up in the fall, and God sent his son to be the new Adam to rescue us so that we might be the righteousness of God in him. We read that in Scripture, especially in Romans chapter 3. He is the just and the justifier. He has come to take our sin. We see that the redemption from sin in the first part of verse 5. Then the last part of verse 5, we see our reception of sonship. That not only does God redeem us and pay off our sin debt, He goes above and beyond that. He does something a, a lot more than just purchase our, our freedom from sin so that He might redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Wow. You know, talk about going above and beyond. God did not have to redeem us. And he chose to do that 
But he didn't leave it there. He went on past just redeeming us and purchasing our freedom. He made us his sons. And as Paul wrote this, the reason why we see this as sons, the, the cultural context, is because the sons had the rights of, of receiving the inheritance. The son was the legal heir. And Paul didn't say children. Paul didn't say sons and daughters. He said sons because it was the son who was the legal heir. So that means that everything the father has, the son has the full right to inherit and receive that. And God made us sons. He made us in line to be the legal recipients of all of his treasure, of everything he owned and possessed. By making us spiritually his sons, we are in line to receive that. We are, we are joint heirs with Jesus, we read in Romans chapter 8. We are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. And God did that. He, he made us his sons. We are not his sons by essence. You know, the, the old song, you know, Santa Claus is coming or whatever. It's, uh, it says that Santa knows we're all God's children. You know, and We're all created by God which is true. God provides for our needs. We have food. We, we, we breathe. We exist in God. It's true. But spiritually, we're not all God's children. John chapter 1, verse 12 says that, that to those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Spiritually, we are separated from God because of sin. But because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us because Jesus became our substitute our propitiation through faith in him we are made sons we are declared heirs not by virtue of just existing no because our sin nature will not allow that but God through Christ and our faith in him we receive sonship so not only are we forgiven, we're made family. That's above and beyond. But that's the love that's the lavish love of God. And that's what we receive. It's extravagant, it's over the top, it's unnecessary, and yet he just pours out his grace on us, and not a single one of us deserve one stitch of it. None of us. But all of us can and will and do receive it through faith in Christ. It's amazing that God would do that for us. But it was at the right time. Y'all familiar with the Heinz ketchup commercial? You know, back in the day when it was, you didn't have the squeeze bottles and it was in the glass and you'd have to set it upside down. And, and the tagline for the commercial was what? Good things come to those who wait. And I think about that first Christmas, that 400 years of silence, how God's people just longingly just waited for him in faith. I know God made this promise. God is going to keep it, but I don't know when. And they waited. And something good, the best thing came. And it was the Messiah, and it was God's Son, it was Jesus. There's an old gospel song that says, He's an on-time God. Yes, He is. He may not come when you want Him, but he'll be there right on time. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. And we see that in the fullness of time. When God was ready, he gave his very best. Sometimes God moves slower than we would like. 
Yet his perfect will is always worth the wait. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? If God loved us so much he would give his only begotten son, how will he not also give us everything that we need? Why would we not trust him? Why shouldn't you trust him with your soul's eternal destiny? And that's for some that's difficult. But for some, yeah, I'll trust him with my eternity. But then we even think about it in practical terms. Why shouldn't you patiently trust him with the day-to-day affairs of your life? Say, well, I trust God will save me, but on but right now I'm just kind of on my own. You know, not that's not that's not what the Bible says. God is there in the day-to-day of your life. And he's ready to to do his marvelous will in our lives. And sometimes it takes longer to unfold. Sometimes you've got to wait for God to, to smack the, the bottom of the ketchup bottle before, before it comes out. And we wait. But good things. Why wouldn't we trust him in the day-to-day events of our lives? And finally, why shouldn't you expect his triumphant return as he's promised? You see... The advent, the first advent of the Messiah was prophesied. And hundreds of years passed. And eventually God's word came to fruition. And we had the promise in Scripture that he's coming again, the second advent. And if God is faithful to keep his word the first time, why would we not expect him to keep it the second time? And as Brother Steve said this morning in his prayer time, when he comes again, it's going to be in quite different and drastic circumstances. He's not coming weak and unannounced. He's coming, and he's coming in fury. He's coming with the fire of the angels in in, in heaven and glory. And this time he's not coming to suffer He's coming to save. And the redemption that we are longing for, that we have already received, we will in its fullness finally see come to pass. So you need to praise God for the unfolding of His perfect plan at His perfect time. And Christmas is a wonderful reminder. In the fullness of time, God did something great. He sent forth His Son to do something that none of us could do to redeem us. And Christmas is a wonderful reminder in the day-to-day of life. In God's perfect timing, His perfect will unfolds. And we need faith to hang on to that promise and claim that promise. And also we look forward with expectancy knowing that God one day will fulfill that promise. And we long for that. In the meantime, we go forth and we announce this message that God has sent forth His Son to redeem those that are born under the law so that we might become and receive the adoption of sons. There are millions, billions of souls around this planet that have never heard that message at all. And some who have heard it, but yet they don't quite grasp it yet. We have the privilege and the responsibility to take this message as they are waiting 
for Christmas to get here and all the good things they're looking forward to, we can remind them that hey, there was a time when that first Christmas came and God sent something great, a perfect gift, and he's coming back. And we get the honor and the privilege to help through preaching the gospel and showing the love of Jesus, helping others to be ready for his return when it comes. Let's pray together. Father, we do come together tonight and praise you for who you are, for what you have done. To be reminded, God, you did not have to redeem us. But Lord, you chose to demonstrate your love, to show that you are a God of mercy and compassion. And so we come to you tonight, God, by faith, just clinging to your word, to your promise, and in, in, in a in a faith and a trust that, Lord, you will not break your word. You, you will not break your promise. You are faithful and trustworthy. And, Lord, how we need that. Because, God, we are not those things. We are tainted with sin and, and we fall. And, and, Lord, we are hopeless. But yet, you have come to give us hope. Oh, God, we praise you for that. Remind us of that, Lord. In the fullness of time, you sent forth your Son, Jesus, to redeem us and to give us adoption into your family. You become our Daddy, our Abba, Father. Remind us of that, Lord, here at Christmas. Remind us of that day to day. We are your child. We have the inheritance promised, and it's coming. And we have received hearts but not in fullness but that time is coming and Lord as we rejoice in that let us take this message of Christmas and the purpose of Christmas and let's live it out God help us to tell others show others what it means to become your child Lord we do that by trusting in you so send us forth we pray on mission for you Ignite within our souls tonight a holy fire that will not be satisfied until we go out and proclaim and do your goodwill. We thank you for your blessings. and Thank you, God, for the opportunity to know you and to serve you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.